Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Jumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Talk Recorded live. Good morning, Northern Maine. Welcome to the Northern Maine Landman Show on the Constitutional Radio Network, the Conscience of Maine. Brought to you worldwide on TalkShoe Radio. Just look it up, Google it, TalkShoe Radio, Northern Maine Landman, and you'll find it. Well, it, today it is Friday, October 27th. Beautiful blue sky. But boy, did we get a deluge the last few days. We had a drought, and I stood on bare, dry bedrock on the Piscataquis River looking up at the interstate bridges in Howland. You could walk across the, walk across the Piscataquis River with your sneakers on, and I didn't try it. But a young fella in good shape could have jumped across a little brook that was trickling down the north bank. I didn't want to risk falling in, so I <laughs> I might have been able to do it, but I uh, I didn't try it. Discretion is the better part of valor from time to time. But now there has been a huge change. 
because we had a deluge in western Maine. I haven't seen the actual precipitation numbers, but more than four inches in Lincoln. And uh, that was through uh, that was through the Thursday morning. It was four inches, and it got a lot more Thursday and into the Thursday night. Blue sky Friday morning, but boy, we get some rain. I looked up six rivers that show as being extremely high. That's black. That's flood flash flood warnings on the Coast and Geodetic Survey website for Maine. You can look it up. It's there. And the St. John River went from 480 cubic feet per second at Nine Mile Bridge to 15,000 cubic feet per second, which is 6,000 cubic feet per second above the all-time record for the date. Back in the backcountry down in Pennsylvania, they call that a gully washer. <laughs> Boy, I tell you, now the trout have an opportunity to spawn. The uh, brooks are dried up. My my culverts underneath the north road, uh, I've got two 36-inch culverts going under the road, and I've seen them full. And the last few weeks, those culverts have been bone dry. I mean, powder, red rust dry on the bottom of the culvert. And there's no flow in the brook. There are a few little puddles where the pools are in the brook, just puddles. When there was a blue heron, now blue herons don't go in the woods very often. They're usually on the edge of streams and ponds. Blue heron was walking up the brook, picking off the the juvenile trout and and a few uh, juvenile suckers and a few whatever what little fish they could get. He could get. He was having a ball. He's going to have to hike somewhere to take off because he, he couldn't take off through those woods. But uh, he was filling up. He could probably walk back downstream and back down to the lake. <clears throat> I am at the main, main school management association conference in Augusta. And it's a two-day event. <clears throat> Go down and they have a keynote speaker in the morning on a Thursday, and then they have sessions all day. They have a lunch, and they have a speaker at lunch and some entertainment of some sort. And then they Friday, they have more sessions, and uh, they have a lunch, and they have a, a farewell speaker excuse me, at lunch. And it's it's supposed to be a good opportunity for school board members, principals, superintendents and various staffers to come down here and get an appraisal and a, a feeling for how education is going in the state of Maine. And these these are accomplished by going to breakout sessions. And over the two days, there are 52 separate breakout sessions. And I counted them because we can choose wherever we want to go. And they forecast as to how many people are expected to attend each session. So some of the sessions they think might be popular are held in large rooms. And other sessions that don't have quite as much general interest are held in smaller rooms. So we had, we had uh, quite a variety of things to, to go listen to. 
But out of the 52 sessions listed on the schedule, there is not one session related to academic excellence in mathematics. Not one session related to academic excellence in science or geography or history or citizenship as it used to be. You know, when I went to school, we had a class in either government or civics, and it was a required course. You had to pass the course in order to graduate. You couldn't flunk it because citizenship was regarded as important back in those days. Now, citizenship, uh, as defined lately, is simply feeling good about yourself in your school community and don't bully anybody. Well, I think everybody agrees that bullying is, is not a good thing. You know, kids shouldn't be bullied. Some kids are weird. They're different from other kids. And as a group, you know, students tend to, to uh, disapprove of this weirdness. <laughs> so, I mean, it's, you're always going to have people that are just peculiar. It's, it's their nature. They're not bad people. They're just different. And kids tend to group up in, in tribes within the school system. And, uh, you know, you've got the, the athletes and you've got the, the geeks. That term came out about 30, 40 years ago. Was academically excellent students who compete for in academics and couldn't care less about playing the sport. And the, that's okay. You know, these people become the engineers, and these are the people that the football players are going to end up working for in the future. Or the basketball players, or the soccer players. But academics has become so introverted, and it's a closed society. And they don't want parents going into the schools anymore. Now, there are a few people here who encourage school board members and community members to visit the school. But by the time you go through the FBI check, you know, it's the opportunity to to uh, participate or even visit your child's classes uh, is gone. People don't want to go through the hassle. And they're talking about school security, and there's been a whole lot of emphasis on school lockdowns. Well, you got some functionary, like the school secretary, decides you're going to have a school lockdown because some kid is misbehaving, yelling and screaming and pitched a fit. Uh, so they lock down the school. It's, they shouldn't do that, but, you know, it happens. So school's on a lockdown. Like police get called. Ambulance comes in case you need an ambulance. And the parent comes to get his student. They say, you can't go in there. Well... Many parents will say, okay, and they'll just, you know, cross their arms and, and hope there's nothing really bad going on within that building. Other parents are more proactive. They will go into the building by whatever means is necessary and take their child home to a safer place. And they may decide to educate their child 
in a safer place. Homeschool kids, as a general rule, do better academically than public school kids. Parents are becoming proactive in that regard, and they want something different than what the system as it exists today provides. Just had a coffee. Anyway, they want kids to to uh, be able to perform better. And, you know, academically, as I mentioned earlier, they want kids to be able to just turn the sound off on the ringer off on my phone. They want kids to be able to achieve in mathematics and science and civics, learn citizenship, learn the Constitution. We have a Constitution Day in the state of Maine. The Constitution Day, the actual day that the Constitution was signed is in September. But Maine says that each 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 school system should set aside a day in October to teach the Constitution. Yesterday, the head of the Democrat Party in the United States of America made the statement that the Electoral College is not a constitutional thing. We ought to just disregard it and go with, with uh, you know, the total number of votes. It is in the Constitution. It's Article 2. The first, Article 1 says we're going to have a government. Article 2 says this is how we elect people. It's in there. But the Democrat Party doesn't look at the Constitution. They're, that's why most teachers are Democrats, because they don't want to follow any rules. They want to just do their own thing and feel good about themselves. Well, self-confidence should be based on achievement, you know, but they're doing away with honor rolls. This uh, this whole thing, this is my fourth year going down to this this uh, event. I'm not sure I'll go next year. But uh, I give up two days to go to this thing and try to bring useful information back to our school board. There are three of us down here, our superintendent and two board members. And it's my fourth year going. We've got a one board member. It's her first year here. I don't know what her impression is going. I'll talk with her and try to catch her and say, well, what do you think? We have evaluation forms to fill out on each of the of the breakout sessions that we attend. And I will you know, provide a, my opinion as to how how this uh, how this was and how useful it was. It, but there is a great gaping hole in the middle of the whole thing. It's academics. They're not talking about academics. They're talking about budgets. That's okay. We need we need to do that. But they're talking about social interaction and feeling good about yourself. And this pride that we have, school pride, national pride, 
is disregarded by these people. And these are board members. There are virtually no teachers here because a teacher can't be a board member. So there are a lot of retired teachers, and people there are asking me, where's Pat? My wife, Pat, uh, was in education for 46 years, taught in six states. She's good at it. And I've told the story before how she developed the first English as a second language program in the nation. She is a freshman, a teacher of freshmen in the public school in New Jersey because I was stationed at Lakehurst and and uh, she followed me around. She taught in six states, including Maine. And you know, she taught excellence. She, her kids understood. They could read and write. They could think critically. <clears throat> but when this group today talks about thinking critically, they think about criticizing each other and trying to make all the students the same, have the same opinions and the same skills and the same judgment and the same thought patterns. And they're turning out people that can't think independently. They have to go to the group and say, well, what does the group think? Groupthink is harmful to our country. It's good to be united in a goal. I'm on a platform committee. And we met down in Augusta several times. A few people attended by a telephone, but you can't really see what's going on with the telephone. And we didn't have Skype. For those of you that don't know, Skype is a is a face-to-face telephone conversation on a cell phone or an iPad or your computer. You sit in front of a regular computer, make a phone call on the computer, and see the other person you're talking to. It's a te- technological marvel. So we... Uh, Skype can be a good thing. but And children can learn with Skype. In Canada, kids out in the bush uh, working, living with the, the, the parents who happen to be guides or trappers or outfitters and will go to school on shortwave radio. Back when I worked in Canada back in the early 90s, uh, coming up on 30 years ago now, but, but uh, kids would go to school on shortwave radio. And if you had a shortwave radio, you could listen and listen in on the school lesson and the class. And out of courtesy, people don't jump in and start giving their opinions. Uh, you know, it's just the—it's uh, not polite to jump into somebody else's uh, conversation. But you can listen, listen in on it. People can listen to all kinds of conversations all over the world with shortwave radio. Kids aren't even told there is such a thing as shortwave radio. But there could come a time in our nation, as my friend Ivan knows, when shortwave radio could be a vital communications link when digital systems are down. I personally hung an antenna 
185 feet up on a tower in Lakeville, Maine, on Almanac Mountain. That antenna covers a bigger footprint than any other ham radio antenna in New England, except for Mount Washington. Mount Washington, New Hampshire, has a ham radio antenna on top. They have to repair it on a regular basis because of ice and high winds. But that antenna is uh, has the highest footprint. Because from Mount Washington, you can hit Long Island, New York, and you can get into Canada, and you can go west of Lake Champlain, and you can hit uh, Nova Scotia. Because between Mount Washington and Nova Scotia, there's nothing higher. So it's got a pretty good, it's got a pretty good uh, coverage. Our antenna—I say ours because I'm the one that hung it there. It doesn't belong to me. But that that antenna is uh, will cover an area almost as big, and further into Nova Scotia, most of New Brunswick, than uh, than Mount Washington. And of course, it'll hit Mount Washington because it's line of sight. It's not a good signal, but it will hit Mount Washington. So everything from Mount Washington to Restouche in uh, in New Brunswick and down into Nova Scotia, almost as far as Halifax. Well, cur- curvature of the earth takes over there, but it will hit uh, Nova Scotia. And from my antenna at the house, I've got a beam on the house. I can hit Berkshire Island. Uh, Nova Scotia. There's a minister there that has a ham radio. Can't recall his call sign, but but he's there with a ham radio on Berkshire Island. So we've got uh, got the educational conference here with 53 clinics. We got the flood, and we had a deluge. Lincoln, Maine, had four inches of rain. And I bet you they had five and a half by the time it was done because the four inches was yesterday morning and it was still pouring after that. I'm here in the parking lot of the Civic Center in Augusta. And you look around the parking lot and there's a heck of a lot of Subarus. You know, the Subaru Forester is the most popular car model in the entire state of Maine. And I've got one. I've got a car for the first time since about 1987. I've always had trucks and vans, and my wife needed a van, and used a truck also. But when she got out of the truck into her wheelchair, you know, we had to be pulling the trailer because the trailer had a ramp, still has, got a ramp, ride the chair down out of the out of the ramp trailer, ride it up to the door, I'd help her out out of the truck into the wheelchair, and off we go. Hit a button, the ramp goes back up. I designed that. Works like a champ. That winch cable goes back and forth on that winch, just like a fish line on a level wide reel. I designed it that way. People look at that and say, wow, you know, how did you do that? Well, arithmetic. The keynote speaker yesterday was the best the best feature for this entire convention. 
the guy is a superintendent of schools, and he uh, his kids do great, and they they uh, he says that there are predictors of of uh, how a person is going to do in life. And they do this in France. We tend to criticize the French. But they they look at kids when they're in the fourth grade in France, and they say, okay, this kid is going to go to an academic high school. And this other kid is going to eventually, when they get out of the eighth grade, is going to go into a high school that will prepare them to <clears throat> to do factory work. These you know these kids aren't condemned to this for their whole life. They can still break break out and achieve, but their opportunities are going to be limited by the government. We do the same thing here now. But this speaker, I wish I had his name right in front of me. I didn't think to write it down. But that 45 minutes that he spoke with no notes, I like this guy. 45 minutes, he spoke about academic achievement and predictors of success. And he mentioned the French, that the French do this. And then at the eighth grade, they go to an academic high school. And these kids are on a fast track to college. They go to college. And the French, you know, the French are a very independent society. And they come up with a Dassault fighter. The Dassault fighter is a high-tech airplane built, designed, built, and manufactured and flown by the French. They've sold a few to other nations. They, they can't produce enough to meet the demand. And we've, we, uh, we sell more fighters than anybody, more aircraft than anybody. But the French and the English together have gone together and they've made the Airbus, for example, which is a European consortium that, that manufactures these aircraft. But they're manufactured in France. And the other countries pitch in with components. How a kid does in, in, the, in life and the income that a, that a person will have between the ages of 40 and 45 is directly tied with how successful the student was in Algebra 2. One subject. Algebra 2 is a difficult course for most students. But if you can get through Algebra 2 with a decent grade, you're going to be a far more, you're going to have far higher income between the ages of 40 and 45 than somebody that didn't take Algebra 2. Algebra 2 requires focus. It requires thought. It requires the ability to picture abstract things and define them and get a correct answer. And it's all about graphs and parabolas and geometry. Geometry is a separate subject, but it figures in Algebra 2. And I'm I'm a math guy. I like math. Last year down here, uh, they spoke about the fact that in order to 
In order for a student to graduate in the state of the state of Maine in the year 2021, which is four years from now, they have to know and be proficient in a foreign language. I'm a numbers guy, okay? I'm not an expert on foreign languages. I'm just a numbers guy. And it's not possible for Maine to accomplish this. That's a nice thought. It makes them a warm, fuzzy feeling, and it makes them part of the New World Order. You know, New World Order, people should be able to speak more than one language. And they're big, big on the New World Order. They're big on Common Core here. I'll get to Common Core in a minute. But, you know, I was at one of these things, and I raised my hand, and I said, no, I said, I'm a numbers guy. And this is probably a nice thought that you'd like to have everybody proficient in a foreign language when they graduate from high school. But it's not possible to do that. Oh, our kids could do it. No, the kids might be able to do it. But your school can't do it. It's not possible. Because in order to get enough foreign language teachers into the state of Maine to make all students proficient in a foreign language, you're going to have to hire hundreds and hundreds of teachers from outside the state of Maine to come to Maine to teach this. We're not graduating enough foreign language teachers out of Farmington and Orono and the various other colleges around to accomplish this. We're not producing enough graduates to do this. So it's, you're going to have to hire from outside the state. The small schools that serve most of Maine have declining enrollments. Well, there's a rare school here and there that's got an increasing enrollment. But very few have increasing enrollments. Most school districts have declining enrollments. Most school districts, because of declining enrollments, have declining budgets. They're getting less state aid because they have fewer students, except for the ones in the bottom 5%. The schools that are in the bottom 5% academically get rewarded with more money. So if your school doesn't perform, you're going to get more money. It's, that's the way the system is set up. It's not a good system. It's dysfunctional. It penalizes our kids, the taxpayers, and the parents, and our employers. The businesses in Maine can't find enough qualified young adults to work there because they have to be able to comprehend basic business principles and these these skills are not being taught in the schools. I'm sitting here looking at, I'm out in the vehicle, I'm sitting here looking at the Augusta Civic Center, and this is not intended to be a rant against education. I'm a big-time education fan. 25 years ago, we had a visioning statement, a conference. It was, it was a three-month project undertaken by our school district. And we hired some consultants to come in from out of state because consultants in Maine weren't good enough for the school district. They wanted to get somebody from away figured they'd get a better result. So these people came in from Massachusetts and they had a visioning session. 
And the minute they said visioning session, I said, oh, i got to sign up for this because this is the Delphi principle or the Delphi project. Delphi Lighting is is uh, a division of General Motors that turns out all their headlights and interior lights and dash lights and all this stuff. They're, they're a light bulb outfit. Illumination is their thing. So Delphi Division and Rand Corporation, which was part of Remington Rand, typewriter people, back after the Korean War, were commissioned by the Defense Department to figure out what in the world happened to our soldiers when they were prisoners in North Korea. Well, North Korea tortured our prisoners. But when they weren't getting the desired result from physically torturing one prisoner, they would study this prisoner and they would observe this, his interaction with other prisoners and they'd find his buddy and they'd take his buddy and they'd torture his buddy in front of the first prisoner. Well, Americans have a moral obligation to, to support their friends and prevent injury to their fellow soldiers when possible. And in Korea, we did not yet have the code of conduct. The code of conduct came out of this study. And these soldiers would break because they didn't want their buddy to be tortured to death. So they'd break. It's a, we're more humane than, than other societies. We really are. And I've been in a lot of different places. And, and Americans are generous, charitable, humane people as a rule. That's why people from all over the world want to come here. So corporate America the uh, Delphi Project and RAND Corporation said, yay, you know, this technique works. We can use this in industry. And IBM bought into it. And lots of other major corporations bought into this. General Motors bought into it. And they rewarded people that were really cooperative and drum thumpers, you know. you And IBM told people what they could wear, who they could associate with outside of business hours, where they could live, and they actually had neighborhood subdivisions for IBM supervisors in our country. And IBM would move people around every three or four years. They'd uproot them, plug them in someplace else, expand the IBM family, and this was their corporate philosophy. And that's military works that way. You know, they'll put somebody there for three years and then he'll go do something else and put him someplace else. It, it, it keeps people in line. And some people just won't tolerate that and they'll leave the service. But these organizational structures uh, can be effective. I took, uh, when I got back from Vietnam, I was worked in a search and rescue outfit in uh, Pensacola, Florida. Went back to school and got a degree in business because nobody was hiring mechanical engineers. 
I mean, the war was winding down, and there were there weren't a lot. It wasn't a good market for engineers. So I went back to school and I got a business degree. And my business degree was focused pretty much on manufacturing because I know that manufacturing is what produces money in any economy. And administration is necessary. I didn't want to be in administration. I didn't want to be personnel or human resources. Took courses in it, understand how it works, but it wasn't my goal. And I studied economics. And I loved economics. I got C's in accounting. You have to take accounting. And I got C's in accounting and because I wasn't creative enough to invent a balanced set of books. The accounting system came out of Italy hundreds of years ago. And you had to be able to balance the books. You got a hardware store, and the hardware store, uh, the guy owns the building. He owns his stock and trade. He owns his office machines, and he owns the delivery truck. And the only debt he has is his accounts payable for that month. You know, he ordered a bunch of stuff, stock and trade. He's got it on the shelf. It hasn't sold yet. It's inventory. And he, some of the bills haven't been paid yet on the end of the month. So on December 31st, they tally it all up and he files his tax reports. And he, I have to create a balanced set of books. So you've got credits and debits. The credits are all of the, all of the uh, assets, you know, the building, the land, all the stock and trade and the truck. The debits are something to balance it off. And you have to invent stuff to to balance it off. And that comes out of nowhere. It's like Billy and Susie buying the house and they go to closing the real estate company or the title company and they write a check to the people selling the house for $149,000. They go away with their money, and they head down to South Carolina to retire and be near their, where the kids are and the grandchildren. Because the kids want, well, both mom and dad are working, so they want the grandparents to babysit for the grandchildren. It's a good system. I mean, it's good for the grandchildren, it's good for the grandparents, and it's good for the parents. And it's, that's how it works all over our country. The other side of this, though, is that Billy and Susie buying the house have just essentially paid the sellers the $149,000. So where did the money come from? The money came out of nowhere. The bank wrote the check for $149,000 to Mr. and Mrs. Jones, who are moving out of Maine, heading down to the Carolinas. And Billy and Susie didn't have the 149000 and the bank didn't have the 149000 That's the thing. The bank didn't have it to write the check. The bank wrote the check based on the hope that Billy and Susie would pay $1,200 a month for the next 30 years to pay down the mortgage. You 
these are just round numbers. It's, it, these these are the principles. This isn't real. But, but you know, Billy and Susie say, "Yep, we're going to do this." Well, the mill closes. Billy's paycheck is gone. Susie takes off, finds herself a new boyfriend, and and nobody's paying on the house. The bank loaned 149000 on it, so they claim that's a $149,000 asset. It isn't. It wasn't a $149,000 asset on the day it closed. The mill closed. And in Millinocket, the town sold a grand total of 16 houses for $48,000. That's an average of $3,000 per house. And the people that owned those properties were given every opportunity to pay the taxes, and they said, no, forget it. We're, we're done with Millinocket, and they're gone. And they're never going to pay Millinocket. So Millinocket sells these houses. On a regular basis, East Millinocket's doing the same thing. Medway, not so much, but that that's happening. A family, three brothers from southern Maine came up and bought a four-unit apartment building right on Penobscot Avenue in Millinocket. They fixed up three of the apartments over several weekends, and the fourth apartment downstairs in the front, they converted it to a lounge, a media center, computer center, you know, it's all high-speed digital wireless, kitchen, bar, you know, nice place. And it's their retreat. They come up and they uh, they go snowmobiling. And now in Millinocket, Millinocket has realized that people come here and want to ride ATVs. And they say, oh, no, you can't do that in Millinocket. Well, now you can do it in Millinocket. You're not supposed to go 50 miles an hour down Penobscot Avenue. You're supposed to go 15 miles an hour. But you can ride ATVs downtown Millinocket now. The uh, Pelletier's restaurant is closed, and the environmentalists have opened up a wine and cheese shop there. And, uh, you know, most people coming up to to go fishing up in the West Branch somewhere, aren't stopping to get wine and cheese. These people that stop and get the wine and cheese are environmentalists. And I'm sitting here in a Subaru Forester, surrounded by Subaru Foresters, but there are no Save the Whales and Flower stickers on my Subaru Forester. <laughs> I got it simply because it's the absolute best all-weather automobile in this in the world, in this price range, you know, it's an economical vehicle. I mean, probably the Audi and and the the new Porsche and the BMW and the Mercedes all have four-wheel drive utility vehicles now. They're uh, they're probably better than this Subaru, but I'm real pleased with this Subaru. So it is now uh, 9:43. And the last two weeks in a row, TalkShoe has cut me off at 9.43 in the morning. I don't know what's going to happen this time. 
But uh, I'm hoping this is getting out. We uh, we passed a budget for the first time in eight years in Washington D.C. We have a federal budget, and we now have passed a new tax law. And I haven't seen it. Most of the rep- representatives who voted for it, both parties, have not seen this budget. The Democrats uniformly voted no. We don't want Donald Trump to be able to establish a budget. We've been working on a on a continuing resolution for the last eight years, and we like it. It's a slush fund, and that's what they were doing. There was no budget. It was just a big federal government slush fund. Now we have a situation where we actually have a budget, and now we can pass a tax plan. The tax plan uh, doesn't touch your 401k, despite what Nancy Pelosi says. You are going to have a 401k, the one you've got, you've had for the last 30, 40 years. It's your retirement fund that you contribute to. So what you put into the 401k doesn't get taxed on on the year that you put it in. It's just set aside. They'll get you on the back end. Oh, they get you on the back end. But when you take, but when you reach the age of seventy, which I have done a while back, you have to take out so much money out of your four hundred one k. So I go down to the bank, I take money out of my four hundred one k, and put it into a uh, a different account. I just simply go to the bank and move money from the four hundred one k, the absolute minimum. They tell me I have to take this amount of money out of my 401k. So I do that, and I move it over to a different account and walk back out. Sometimes I take a couple of hundred dollars and have my walking around money. But it, this is the system. And the money you take out of your 401k, when you move it from the, from the 401k into your savings account, you know, they tax you for that, for moving it over onto the other line at the, at the credit union or the bank, wherever you have your account. And we knew this was coming. They also have a, uh, there's a fund, it's some congressman's name that you could put in. And it's a Roth IRA, that's it. Congressman Roth came up with this thing. Roth IRA. You pay taxes before you put it in, and then when you take it out of the Roth, you don't pay any taxes on it. You just take it out and spend it. Or do whatever you want with it. And that's the system. It still works. I think they're going to clamp down on that eventually. Because here's this great big pool of billions of dollars sitting there. It belongs to people. And Democrats don't think you should be able to make your own choices when it comes to spending and control of the assets that you own, whether it's your house, your camp, the type of vehicle you choose to drive, or anything. They want to control your resources. Bigger government, 
Higher taxes, less freedom. Those are the three principles. And it is so, so visible down here at this educational conference that I'm at. It, uh, yesterday at lunch, they had a group of students, uh, third and fourth graders, are learning music. Music is a good thing. It's organized. You have to you have to sing along with other people. It teaches cooperation. It teaches builds on memory skills. And I'm a big fan of music. I think schools should have music teachers. I think schools should have shop teachers. I think schools should have home economics teachers. I'm working on that in my in our own school system. But this uh, this teacher came up from Scarborough with about 40 kids in the third and fourth grade. And they sang patriotic songs, America the Beautiful, and lots of other patriotic songs. And they had then they had a brief interlude, and each kid could have a little sip of water and get going, and they go again. After the first one, we didn't know if the program was over or not, but there was a big pause there, and and there was applause. And there were over 200 people in the education industry there, School board members, principals, superintendents, various state functionaries. And in that room of over 200 people, when those kids were finished singing those patriotic songs, a grand total of seven people stood up and applauded. We seven, I was one of the seven, we seven felt that this was worthy of a standing ovation. And the other... 250-some-odd people sat there with their arms folded. They applauded a little bit, and then they went back to eating their lunch. What those kids did, they sang, and God bless America, okay? Third and fourth graders sang, God bless America. And only eight, seven people, seven people stood up, including me, with a standing ovation. Boy, I tell you, that is a huge insight into the thinking of the people who run the schools in the state of Maine. Not a lot of conservatives run for school board. Just check my time here. Not a lot of school members run for school board. And they should. You know, I'm one of three conservatives out of a grand total of 11. We have 11 members on the school board, and there are three conservatives on the school board. Now, there are a couple of other people that may have had a third conservative thought somewhere in the past in their life, but they don't vote conservative. We managed to get a school budget, but we're looking at, we have three schools, okay? We have 110 school students this year in our system. We have three schools. We don't need three schools. We didn't need three schools when we added the third school 25 years ago. We didn't need it then. But we've got three schools, and each town wants to keep the schools in their town because it's important to them, even though there's no people in the building. We're heating it, 
Got the lights on, a couple of lights at least. You plow the driveways. Nobody in the building. Once in a while, they have a public supper in the in the cafeteria. Uh, they, the towns in our area tend to be charitable, and when a family has a crisis, uh, a kid is badly injured, uh, one of the family members has a serious illness, or there's a death in the family, and they'll have a public supper, and the proceeds from the public supper will go to the family, and they'll raise $500 or $700 or something. And there'll be other people that just pitch in and more than the, the cost of the public supper. It's a good thing. It builds community. It builds respect. It uh, it shows other people in the community that the town cares about its citizens. Community is not defined by town boundaries. Other people from the surrounding area that know the family come to these events. The Snowmobile Club in, in Springfield on the first and third Saturday, have a pancake breakfast. It's uh, ex- pancake waffles. I call it the waffle extravaganza. I'm a big waffle fan. Most motels have waffles now. But I go to the uh, go to these breakfasts. It's five bucks for a breakfast. You get waffles. You get home baked beans, which are really good. Fried eggs or scrambled eggs. Eggs any way you want them. Uh, they have uh, Sausage gravy on on biscuits, and on the opening week of hunting season next Saturday, at this uh, actually a couple of days from now, they uh, what is it tomorrow? No, no, it isn't. It's next week. Anyway, first and third Saturday. The first Saturday in November is going to be uh, a hunter's breakfast. They'll have ham and eggs or steak and eggs. And they charge more money. It's more than five bucks, but it's a feed. When I go hunting, I, my clothes aren't in the house. My clothes are hanging outside in the fresh air. And there's spruce and fine boughs. And my clothes don't smell like a <laughs> like a ham and egg breakfast in the woods. My clothes smell like the woods. And uh, I learned that. 70 years ago. So you got stuff you learn along the way as a child that stick with you, and it's important. It's a life skill. Everybody should know how to be able to handle and use firearms efficiently. Everybody should know how to swim. They're life life skills. And we've got uh, one more apple seed coming up this year. Going to have an apple seed in Columbia, Maine. It's right down by Machias. Uh, the shooters can bring a cot, sleep in the clubhouse. The clubhouse will be warm. And uh, you bring a cot, set it up. And uh, I was I was I was chilly. The, the clubhouse wasn't very warm at North Berwick, and I had my sleeping bag. But when you're sitting on a on a cot that's just one one thin piece of fabric, the underside gets cold, so you roll over and warm up, let the other side warm up, and then that side gets cold. So I I went to Walmart, and they got a yoga pad. Now, I'm not into yoga, but Walmart sells yoga pads. They ought to label them also as 
as uh, clock mattresses because this pad is, is a dense foam and it's a half an inch thick. It's 30 inches wide by six feet long or maybe a little over six feet. You put it on the cot and the underside doesn't get cold. So this thing is more effective at keeping you warm underneath than an air mattress. So you learn something, you get all the new stuff all the time. There's a uh, there's a website called City Data, and it, it gives data on cities and towns and areas all over the nation, in the world for that matter. But you can if you Google a state, that's how I found it. Ten years ago, I Googled something on Maine, and up pops this website. And I said, oh, this is a good website. And they have commentary about states and events. And I posted a comment this morning about the flooding in western Maine. The western Maine mountains got a huge amount of rain. And I, I predict that Lincoln got more than five inches. They had four inches down officially yesterday morning. It rained a lot after that. But the western mountains, I haven't seen any any amounts, but the rivers are way out of their banks. I mean, they're higher than all-time records on some of these rivers. Sandy River over there by Farmington is flooded. Now, I haven't heard anything about washed-out roads or anything because I'm down at this conference. I'll get online and learn a little bit about that. So first weekend of December... Appleseed at Columbia, Maine. It's at the Pleasant River Fishing Game Club. Pleasant River Fishing Game Club, Columbia, Maine, first weekend in December. We're going to tell the story of what happened on April 19, 1775 at Lexington and Concord. I'm going to teach people to be safer and more accurate than they would have been uh, with firearms. It was interesting a couple of weeks ago at, at Monmouth, when you know we we do our initial training at 82 feet, 25 meters, which is what the Army uses for their initial training, and then we moved over to the 100-yard line, and depending on what you have for rifle and ammunition, the 22 is sighted in for 25 yards will drop anywhere between six inches and nine inches at 100 yards. So if you know that and you know, you test it out with your rifle, you hold six inches high and you're probably going to hit that that rabbit at 100 yards. It's a pretty good shot, a rabbit at 100 yards. But we teach you how to do that. And they're com coming out with uh, low-velocity low of what they call standard velocity ammunition for 22s, and the bullet doesn't break the sound barrier. You know, you just get a light pop, and uh, there's no sound barrier, and the 22 doesn't make much more noise than an air rifle. So there's all kinds of stuff happening in the, in the shooting field. Bullets are becoming more accurate, the bullet themselves. Manufacturers are getting really good at high-performance bullets. So, this has been the Northern Maine Landman Show on the Constitutional Radio Network.
Conscience of Maine, brought to you today on the Buckshoe Radio Network. I got to go back in and spend much of the rest of the day with all these liberals who don't want to teach the basics. And I'm going to advocate for teaching the basics. One lone voice. Be safe. Watch out for this high water. If you're in northern and western Maine, there's not many people up there. Used to be 18,000, now it's below 8,000. But, boy, I tell you, we got some high water. There's going to be some washouts somewhere. We'll probably read about it and see it on TV tonight. Be safe and God bless. With Lucky Landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.